Amen. You guys ready to guess who this is once again? Ron, you ready? Okay, sure. That's a good answer. All right. Well, hey, for this man who, listen to this, he never even gave a thought to prayer, let alone the time to prayer. He not only became one of the greatest prayer warriors of all time, but many times, listen to this, he was so full of the joy of the Lord uh, that he couldn't even go back to sleep. So he just went back in for more prayer. <laughs> Can you believe that? And when he prayed, man, he prayed with power and absolute faith in God. For instance, true story, one time while he was crossing the ocean, the weather turned cold and the ship he was on was forced to slow down due to some fog that had rolled in. So this man got up, paid a visit to the captain where he said, Captain, I've come to tell you that I have to be in Quebec by Saturday afternoon. And the captain responded, it is impossible. And the man said, well, very well, if your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. I have never broken an engagement for 52 years, so let's get down into the chart room and pray. And the captain said, sir, you don't understand. The the fog is dense. You don't realize how dense it is. And to which the man replied, no, sir, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. And when this man began to pray, the captain was also about to pray, but he put his hand on the captain's uh, shoulder and told him not to. He said, first, you don't believe that he will. Second, I believe he already has, and there is no need for you whatever to pray about it. Captain, I've known my Lord for 52 years, and there has never been a single day that I have failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, captain, open the door, and you will see the fog is gone. And sure enough, it was gone. And it was this one single instance with this one single Christian man that so affected that captain that the captain himself later became a well-known evangelist. The prayer warrior's name, again, is George Mueller. As we saw last week, part two. Wow, it just keeps getting better and better. Interesting. And once again, you know the theme. I don't know about you guys, but you take a look at the facts. These are actual events. This is an actual brother in Christ that we're going to see in heaven one day. How many guys would say that, man, George Mueller had a pretty cool life as a Christian? I mean, can you imagine that? That's awesome, okay? In fact, I would say, now that is a life worth living for, amen? Christian, that's what we all want to have, right? But as we saw, there's a problem today in the American church. Even though God's the same God, right? And we're just as much his children as George Mueller is, right? Okay, what's the problem? Most of us, if we're honest, we read the Bible in one hand, we take a look at our life in the other, and we go, man, what's wrong here? Something's not matching. It doesn't compute. Why is it that these people, like George Mueller, get to have this amazing, awesome walk with Jesus Christ, and here I am fumbling around the dark? I don't have a life worth living for. I got a, I got a life worth giving up. But folks, we've been seeing this is the great news. It doesn't have to be that way. I'm telling you, God's the same God. Right? We're his children too. So this kind of life, like George Mueller had, is available to every single Christian. Turn to somebody and say it again. That means you. Okay? And that's why we're going to continue our study. That's right. A life worth living for. And what we're doing is taking a look at the different keys that I believe and I've experienced and I believe scripturally that we need to consider and take to heart if we're going to have that life worth living for like George Mueller and many others we've been seeing uh, has uh, had. Okay. And we've already seen the first four times that first key, uh, if we're going to have that life worth living for, is we need to rediscover how to experience God's joy. And again, as we've been seeing, it's not just about us. It's about when, not if, when we share the gospel, we back it up with our countenance. It's a rotten advertisement when you share people about Jesus. Hey, Jesus is great, but what do we do? We walk around, right? It's not a good advertisement. It's called being hypocritical, okay? It's not a good thing. So we need to get back to discovering how to experience his joy. Jesus said, if you abide in me and he in us, I'm going to give you what? 
So much joy is going to be complete, literally there bubbling over the top. Why? Because yes, he wants us to experience his joy. It's a fruit of his spirit, but he wants us to be a positive advertisement. As if coming to Jesus really is joyful. What a concept, okay? But we saw in the first three studies that the world's out there tricking you and I to seek this temporary happiness instead of joy. So we missed out on that. And then last time we saw, well, listen, I don't want to just know what the pitfalls are. I want to know what does it mean to abide in Jesus Christ? Because that's a Christianese phrase, right? Abide in Jesus Christ. <laughs> what? Okay, and we saw the first two ways that you abide in Jesus Christ to maintain that joy was through, believe it or not, yes, prayer and Bible study. Okay, I didn't say God did. Both of these, the scripture says, are not just something that we Christians do. They're great sources of joy too, okay? And there we saw that prayer, believe it or not, is not just to be a spare tire in the trunk. Did you know that? That you whip out only in emergencies, okay? It's to be your daily lifeline, okay? And it daily helps maintain that joy, okay? As one guy said, if you, if you can't sleep, don't count sheep. You need to talk to the shepherd, right? That'll preach, Okay, then we also saw with Bible study, yes, believe it or not, Bible study is a great source of joy too, okay? The Bible is not to be a, listen, a cake for special occasions, it's to be our daily bread, as we saw there last week, okay? And did you know that we can read the whole Bible in one year in just 12 minutes a day? I'll say that again. We can read the whole Bible in one year in just 12 minutes a day. And after all Jesus did for you and I, I think he's worth at least... 12 minutes a day. And it's where we learn his wisdom so we don't repeat the same goofy mistakes. We learn about him whom we love. But it's also a great source of joy. That's how you maintain it. That's how you keep it going. So don't just stay away from the falsehood, from the world, happiness that never lasts. But get plugged in. Abide in Jesus Christ. How do you do that? With prayer and Bible study. But the third way that we abide in Jesus Christ, maintaining that joy, believe it or not, here's one that we really miss. Believe it or not, witnessing. Yeah, what, Bobby? Can you believe that? That's a great source of joy, right? But usually when we talk about witness, we all know we need to witness. We need to share the gospel. We need to tell other people about Jesus Christ. But usually of all things that, quote, Christians do, what's the one that we freak out on the most? But did you know the Bible says that when you witness, when people get saved, okay, when you share the gospel, it not only uh, causes you to be so joyful, it causes people around you to be joyful. Even heaven busts out and rejoices. That's how powerful it is. But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Open your Bibles to Luke 15. Let's take a look at just how powerful it is when we're out there uh, seeking the lost, okay, which is uh, what we're supposed to do. It's the great commission, not the grand suggestion, okay, as we saw before. But uh, Luke uh, chapter 15, and we're going to read uh, today, we're going to go through uh, many different parables from Jesus in our context, and this is the first one, Luke uh, 15. Verses 3 through 10, we're going to take a look at the lost sheep and the lost coin, okay? And uh, take a look at what Jesus has to say about that. And uh, let's start there with uh, verse 3. And Jesus starts off and he says this. Now, Jesus told him a parable. He says this, okay? Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. What do you do? Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he what? He joyfully, man, whoo, that's exciting, right? Himself, that's whoo, puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and that's it. No, keep reading. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, what? Get in on this joy with me, man. Rejoice, whoo, rejoice with me. Why? Because I found my lost sheep. He says, in fact, I tell you that in the same way, there's gonna be more rejoicing where? In heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 supposed righteous uh, persons who do not need to repent. 
And I like that Jesus, you know, he gives you several different options. If you don't get, the, get it the first time, I'm going to try to come in this angle and you can get it the second time. And if you don't get it the second time, then I'm going to come in and give you the third. He wants us to know the truth. And so he gives you another analogy, right? And we'll take a look at the second one. We don't have time for the third one, the prodigal. Okay, but here's what he says. Or suppose, in case that one didn't get you, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. What's she do? Man, does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and uh, search carefully until she finds it? And by the way, I don't have a whole lot of time, but this is a cultural issue in case you guys ever wonder. This is basically her life insurance policy back in the day, right? You think of 10 silver coins, whoop-de-doo, right? Some translations might say a quarter, say, oh, you found your quarter, oh. No, that's not what's going on here, okay? They didn't have a welfare back then. They didn't have social security. They didn't have any of that stuff, okay? And this basically, the woman would wear on her, basically, her life insurance policy. So basically, one-tenth of her life insurance policy is gone. Now you know why she's sweeping looking around for it, right? So that's just a little custom and mannerism. So that's what's going on there. So she's looking for this thing, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors over and says, what? Woohoo! Rejoice with me, man. I found my last coin. In the same way, Jesus says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of who? The angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is great, folks. I'm not making this up. This is what God says. Jesus speaking. We're not only, first of all, to be concerned about the lost coins and the lost sheep, i.e., who represent what? People. We're not just to be concerned as Christians uh, to, about the people. Oh, they're lost. Let's pray. It's not just praying for them. The Scripture says you need to get out there and what? Search for them. Look for them. Number one is what Jesus says. But it also says that when they get saved, when you find that lost sheep or when you find that lost coin, listen, you not only get to rejoice. And can I encourage you, if you are here today, the stat is this, 95% of people who claim to be Christians, 95% have never, ever once led a soul to Jesus Christ. You know what the stat is, the unsaved here in Las Vegas? 95%. Isn't that weird? I don't think it's by chance. But listen, I'm telling you, if you've never had the privilege of leading somebody to Jesus Christ, what happens, Bobby? <laughs> Man, just like the tech, you're just, whoa. Clyde, you're infused with God's spirit. His joy is, whoa, wow. So the scripture says when you're out there sharing the gospel and somebody gets saved, man, it's not only joyful for you, but man, then when you go back and you share it with your friends, when you go to the church service and you say, hey, guess what? So-and-so, my neighbor got saved today, a coworker, family member. What should the church be doing? But what do you see in churches today? Hey, just want to let you guys know, hey, man, the guy I've been witnessing to work, man, he got saved. Chirp, 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 chirp. That's a universal sound for crickets. Like, no, no, didn't, didn't you hear me? You got saved. Thank you. Woo, man, praise God, Holly. You can get your piece of gum later. See me after service. All right. <laughs> I'll never forget. I ain't got much time. I, when I was uh, doing an internship at a Baptist church in California, and uh, we had given the gospel, long story, but just in a nutshell, to the glory of God, 10 youth got saved. Okay, in that youth group, which was almost the whole youth group, right? It was just, it was phenomenal, right? I don't have time to get into how God led up to prepare the hearts for that. But anyway, so I am so beside myself. I couldn't wait till Sunday because I, I got an announcement, got an announcement, got an announcement. I can't even keep it in, right? And so I get over there, I get there, and in front of this church, I go, hey, listen, you guys ain't going to believe this, but 10 youth got saved this week, and it was, and then I kid you not, you know what else? Then they got mad at me. You mean, what do you mean to tell me? My son, my daughter wasn't saved? <laughs> Whoa. 
So you not only didn't rejoice, then you, I was like, but that's a little side story. But the scripture says, man, when you save, uh, when God saves people, he uses you, you share the gospel, you rejoice, other people rejoice. But listen, what's the text say? Even heaven busts out in praise. The actual angels of God get into this. Now, this is our problem. And do you really think this is by chance? That witnessing, which the scripture we just read says, it's not just one, not just two, but three great sources of joy, even heaven gets in on it has become our greatest source of fear. Oh, we'll do all kinds of things in the church, but you ask a Christian to witness today? <gasps> do you really think it's by chance? No. And the enemy's got it so twisted around that we, you know, shoot ourselves in the foot, so to speak. We make it worse than it needs to be. We get all worked up over it. And we make it fearful. Like this guy. Many years ago, there was this uh, Christian who owned this uh, old-fashioned barbershop, and he became convicted that he needed to share Christ with other people. And so he determined that the next Saturday, he would share the gospel with somebody, at least one person who came into his shop. But throughout the day, many opportunities arose to share Christ. But each time, because of his fear of rejection, he froze up and he, he found himself unable to say anything. Well, by the end of the day, the, the tension was building and he knew he had to say something and, and times are ticking and he just felt horrible. He knew he's got to share the gospel and he's getting all worked up. And finally, just five minutes before closing time, the last customer comes in the door and he asks for a shave. And, and so the Barber, he swallowed hard and he said, okay, man, this is the one, man. This is the one I got to do to this guy. I got to share with this guy. This is the one. This is my last opportunity. I got to share the guy. And so he, he, he's cranking up his courage and, 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 and he, he lathered up the man's face with that old time shaving cream stuff. And then he goes back to get the straight razor and he's, he's sharpening on the leather strap and he's getting nervous and he sweats pouring off his brow. He's getting all nervous. And, and so finally he walks around to the front of the chair and he's jittering and shaking and he knew this was his last chance. And so with one minute to go, he finally gets in front of the chair and his lips are quivering, the sweat's dropping off his face and his hands hands holding the razor, shaking like crazy, and he holds up to the guy to his face and says, hey, brother, are you ready to die? <laughs> and the guy jumps out of the chair, smashes through the door, and runs down the street screaming. <laughs> How many guys can identify with that guy's fear there? You know, you need to witness, and you say, I got to do it, I got to do it, and you, just, <laughs> and you turn into something crazy, Right? But folks, can I ask you the obvious question? Do you really think it's by chance? I, this is spiritual warfare 101. Do you really think that witnessing, which the Bible says is one of our greatest sources of joy, and for other people, even the angels becomes one of our greatest sources of fear? Do you really think that's by chance? No. The devil knows that, folks, he is robbing us of joy. Okay? And he only gets us to be afraid of witnessing, but then we'll even rationalize it. We'll make excuses. And I've heard all kinds of excuses over the years. This why I need to learn more. How about just share what you know? Because something beats nothing. Right? Share what you know. Right? Or we say, well, you know, well, I, I'm scared. You know, we just saw that analogy. But the biggest one that I hear today from Christians is this one. Hey, you know what? I just don't have the time. Ooh. Let's, 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 let's take a look at that. So you don't have time to evangelize, but here's really what's going on. You got plenty of time to entertain your eyes. Let's be honest, folks. Well, what do we do with our time, right? Whether it's Hollywood, whether it's the latest movie, whether it's TV, we don't bat an eye spending hours totally engrossed in it. The average family today, American household, watches combined seven hours a day of TV, seven hours a day. And it'd be one thing if it was neutral content, but it's not. Most of the stuff that comes out of Hollywood that's on TV today, okay, you're putting into your brain, Christian, something that promotes homosexuality, adultery, murder, fornication, violence, and anti-Christian teachings. So it doesn't just put waste in your mind. Listen, 
it wastes your time for something that's much more important. I'm not against TV. We use media all the time. But it needs to be godly. But again, it can become a time waster from that which is more important. I like one guy, he said this, don't you realize that every package from hell comes disguised in ecstasy, right? And see, we've been conditioned to call it entertainment, but what is it really when you look at the content? It's sinertainment, isn't it? And we're entertaining ourselves, but we're entertaining ourselves to death, okay, is what's going on there. But again, it's not just that it wastes your mind, it wastes your time, okay? So much so that people today, even Christians, are much more concerned about finding out what happens in Hollywood then whether or not their neighbor, their loved one, their coworker, the guy they keep just, do you think it's by chance, running in at the gas station, whether or not they're going to hell. In fact, it's getting so bad today, we've rationalized it so much that the average Christian today almost has to be paid to witness. Like this guy, let's take a look. Here's a challenge. If I said, I'll pay you $100 every single time you share the gospel, how many times today would you have done it? Be honest, 10, 20, 50, 100 times? Probably with everybody I come in contact with. <laughs> as many as I could. As many people as I could. As many as I could possibly reach out to. Wow, as many as I could get a hold of, <laughs> 100? <laughs> I would have about a billion dollars right now. Um, enough to buy me a new car. I'd probably do it several times. Probably a lot more than once a week, <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> As many as I could, like uh, 1,000 1, times. It would probably be more. I hate to say it, but yeah, it probably would be more. How long have you been a Christian? Uh, all my life, I guess. Yeah. How often <laughs> How often do you just walk up and talk to strangers about Jesus, you know, share the gospel? Uh, not very often, I guess. I'm just a college student, just go to church when I go, and I guess I really don't just talk up to nobody. So, so if, I, if I ask you right now, to walk up and just talk to somebody, you know, like a stranger, maybe give them one of these million dollar bills, you know, do you think you could do that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so that, 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 that's kind of intimidating? Yeah, it is. Okay, what if I said I'll give you a hundred bucks cash right now just to go walk up to somebody and say, hey, here you go, thanks a million. Could you do it for a hundred bucks? Yeah, I could do it for a hundred. I'll give you a hundred dollars cash, okay? Yeah, yeah, I'll give you a hundred dollars cash. 20, 40, 60, 80, 100. So 100 bucks, I'll give you as soon as you come back, you just got to take this million dollar bill, you pick whoever you want to give it to, and you just walk up to them and say, hey, thanks a million, or hey, I appreciate it, you look like a million, or hey, take this with you, know, whatever you want to say to them, and when you've done it, come back and I'll give you 100 bucks, okay? Sounds good. That's a deal. Deal. Okay. How would y'all like a million dollar bill? It's a once in a lifetime thing, you can put this in your, just keep it for a keepsake, a million dollar bill, and if you could, just, just read that on the back when you get a chance. I'm very inspirational, okay. but I appreciate y'all keeping that. Just What's this about? Oh, we're just giving out million dollar bills so we can just read this uh, scriptures on the back for us. I appreciate y'all giving that. Y'all have a good evening now. Thank you. Had you ever done that before? No, no, I've never done anything like that really before. It was, it was fun. It was something to do, you know. I mean, it's, it's something I'll remember. You know? So, well, here's your hundred bucks, man. So, let me ask you. And, and just just hear me through here. You know, Jesus, he says in the Bible, you love God or you love money. Now, when initially I asked you to do that, you said, no, man, I couldn't do that. That was that was afraid. But then when I said, I'll give you a hundred bucks to do it, you got really excited about doing it. So does it concern you that you wouldn't do it for the love of the Lord, 
but you would do it for a hundred dollars cash uh that's now that you, i didn't even think about it but now that you say that it is kind of i don't know it's something that yeah 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 that is something wow Folks, do you really think it's by chance every time that we get ready to witness that all of a sudden, even though the Bible says it's a great source of joy, that we start to feel up with fear? Do you really think it's by chance that all of a sudden these thoughts of, they're going to reject me, they're not going to like me, they're going to get mad at me, do you think that, really? Do you think it's by chance that you're tempted to go watch a movie or do something or procrastinate or say it's later or invest time over here? Do you really think it's by chance that all of a sudden you say, yeah, I'll do it if you pay me? You really think it's my chance? No, it's spiritual warfare. Listen to this. The devil knows that if he can steal away your time from God, then he can steal away your witness for God. And if he can steal away your witness for God, then he's going to steal away an opportunity for you to abide in Christ by witnessing for Christ and miss out on the joy of God. And not only that, but especially with this one, guess what? When you and I are not out sharing the gospel, that means people are still headed to hell. And they're going to miss out on what we already have, the joy of salvation, okay? But that's not all. The fourth way that we get tricked into not having a permanent uh, joy in Jesus Christ is by not having a permanent service in Jesus Christ. You know, because he led the way by example, right? He says, if you want to be great, what do you do? You need to serve. You need to become a servant like he did, okay? And, uh, and the Bible talks about uh, many different ways to serve Jesus Christ. We only have time for a couple uh, this morning. And the first way we serve Jesus Christ is by our talents. Did you know you get gifts when you get saved, right? And they're, all, they're meant to sit there and stare at them. Wow, look at that thing in there. That looks really, oh, hold on. Now I can see it. <laughs> look at it. No, it's meant to be used. And it's a very serious issue, and Jesus talks about this in another parable, okay? You don't let what he has invested in you sit around and do nothing and collect dust. That's a major problem. Matthew 25, verse 19 through 21. Not long, now, long af, after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them, he says. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. And he said this, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. He had something to show for it, right? He invested it, did something with it. And so his master said, well done, what? Good and faithful servant. How many guys want to hear those words? Amen. I hope all of us do. And he says, you have been faithful over little. I'm going to set you over much. So I'm not only going to reward you, but listen to this. Enter the what? The joy of your master. Okay. So here we see Jesus, another parable. He says that number one, if you and I ever expect to hear in the context of this phrase is how it happens. If we expect to hear, well done, thou good and faithful. Pew sitter. Oh, I'm sorry. Well done, though, that good and sideliner. And you just sit there on the sidelines and you tell everybody else how they're supposed to do it better. I'm, what translation am I reading? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Then you need to serve. Common sense right there, okay? But not only that, he says, when you do, when you serve Jesus Christ, okay, and we serve out of love for what he's done for us. Anybody excited that Jesus went to the cross, that he served us by dying his death on the cross so we can escape from hell? Anybody excited about that? That he served us with that? So we do it out of love. Thank you, Jesus. What can I do for you? So when we serve, we do that a lot. But he says, listen, it also allows you to enter into what? The joy of the master, the joy of Jesus, okay? But again, here's our problem. Instead of maintaining this permanent service to Jesus Christ, to maintain that permanent joy of Jesus Christ, we do the same thing with witnessing in prayer and Bible study. We come up with excuses. And it's the same excuses witnessing that I've seen rose to the top when it comes to serving in the church. We say, hey, listen, I just don't have time. 
Let's examine that. You say, I don't have time for the house of God, but boy, you got plenty of time for you, the house of man. Right? Hey, whether it's raking leaves, installing that new doodad, or painting this, or fixing that, or installing that, or getting this thing over here and do whatever. Hey, we don't bat an eye. Spending oodles of time doing whatever it takes to beautify the places we live in or trying to fix them up. And again, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with maintaining your house or, or renewing your house or having some additions to your house. I'm not against that, okay? You need to be a wise steward of what God has invested. It doesn't mean turned into a shack. But let's be responsible. Let's be, you know, accountable. Let's be honest, okay? In comparison to the time that we spend serving the needs of God, it's out of balance right? Even though most Christians today have been entrusted by God with so much luxury and convenience, when you get asked to serve in the church, they say what? Oh, I'm sorry. It's just not convenient. Let me, let's examine that. Okay. How convenient do you think it was for Jesus to bear our sins on the cross? How convenient do you think it was to have his face beat to a pulp for our crimes against God? How convenient do you think it was to have his back shredded, his body pierced for our transgressions? Guess what? It wasn't. But praise God, he served us, amen? And don't we realize, Christian, that when we serve other people with the gifts that God's given us in his name, it's how we give back the love that was shown to us. And ultimately, if they're not saved, man, lead them to Christ. How is that bad? But can you imagine if, if Jesus treated us when it comes to service the way that we unfortunately sometimes treat him in the church? Can you imagine if he said this? Hey, God, oh, man, I was almost there, man. I was halfway to the cross. I, was, I really was. I was, I was determined I'm going to do it, halfway to the cross. And all of a sudden, bang, the thought went through my head. Oh, I got to fix those pearly gates. There's a little rust. It's, this, it's making this an annoying, creepy, creepy, creepy. I gotta, sorry, maybe next time. I was halfway there, though. Can you imagine if Jesus said, oh, man, you guys, I was this close, man. I mean, I was serious. I was this close to saving you from eternal damnation and hell. But you know what? That new light fixture, it's really bugging me. I got to go fix that thing. It looks, you know, I'll be back. Maybe if I get time. Can you imagine if he did that? If Jesus served us the way we oftentimes serve him, where would we go? Hell. In fact, this is a serious issue. Now, we are not saved by our works. I hope we all know that, amen? Because if any ounce of our behavior was dependent upon us getting to heaven, none of us would get there, myself included. We'd all be burning in hell. Okay, so don't get me wrong. We are not saved by our works, but rather out of love for Jesus. That's our motive. But he says, listen, if you have no desire to do nothing, anything, whatever, at all, ever, something's wrong. Something's radically wrong. And this is what he says in the rest of the parable, Matthew 25. He says this, 24 through 28 and 30. Then a man, here's another option, had received one talent. He comes back to the master and he says, hey, I knew that you were a hard man. <laughs> what? Excuse me? You're harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And Whoa. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Had nothing to show for it. Well, listen to what he said. His master said, you what? Well done, thou good and faithful. Oh, I'm sorry. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker, so I returned. It would have received back interest. should have been something, anything, but nothing. 
You take that talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents and throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there'll be what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. How many guys realize that there are no such scenarios as weeping and gnashing of teeth in heaven? What's Jesus saying? I'm not saying this. We are, please, don't misunderstand. We are not saved by our works. But Jesus says that I didn't. If you really could give a rip about serving him anytime, any whatever, listen, you're not headed to heaven. You're headed to weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is always talking about hell. What he's basically saying is there are people who profess to be my servants. They profess to belong to me. But they give away their true colors because they don't love me. And one of the ways I know you don't love me is because after all I've done for you, you can't do anything to share my love with somebody at least once. That's pretty crazy. But that's just the first way that we can serve. When we serve, it's full of joy. It's awesome. I don't know about you, but it is a pleasure to serve Jesus Christ to other people. Amen? It's a great source of joy, okay? But the other way, and I've and I got time for one more. The second way, we have the privilege of, of sharing Jesus Christ. Believe it or not, just our talents, but it's also with our treasure. Uh-oh. Preachers talking about money again. I tell you, what, what's going on with that? Well, let's take a look at what, how we're supposed to give uh, in the Scripture, okay? Here's what we see. The first passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each man should give because he has to. If he doesn't, you're going to get beat over the head with a two-by-four. Wrong church, wrong translation. Each man should give what he's decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly and not under compulsion, i.e. because you have to. Why? Because God loves a what? A cheerful giver, okay? Paul says this, Acts 20, verse 35, kind of a neat text. He gives us an inside scoop about what Jesus said elsewhere, not recorded in the Gospels. He said this, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more what? Blessed to give than it is to receive. You're not going to see that on a bumper sticker today. What's the world today? It's all about me, receive, me, me. No wonder nobody's experiencing joy. Jesus said one of the greatest sources of joy is when you give away your life. Okay? It's when you give away your life. Okay, and this is what he's talking about here. God not only wants us to give, but when we give, he wants us to give cheerfully, not under compulsion, not because we have to, but because we want to. In fact, the word there that's used there for blessed, okay, blessed, it's more blessed to give, okay, can actually be translated, some translations have this in there, happy or literally joyful. So according to Jesus, I'm not making this up, according to Jesus, he says that a life filled with giving is a life filled with joy. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but this is awesome. Especially when, see, when you give to the church, what are you doing? You're giving to the things of God. Anybody want to work together as God's team and share the gospel around the world? Well, guess what's happening when we do that? That's what it's doing. That's what it's going for. Anybody glad that you got a facility here, that you got lights, and, and you got some staff members who could be here to love you and encourage you and counsel you and teach you? Anybody glad about that? Well, when you give, what do you think that's going for? Right? I saw you driving a Cadillac. No, it's not. You guys know better than that, right? Aren't you glad that we get to disciple kids and we get to share the gospel local and around the world and all this other stuff? Where do you think that comes from? It's when we work together and we give back because it's exciting. It's exciting that even our treasure can make a difference for eternity in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? And that's joyful, knowing that we're actually making a difference here in Vegas and around the world. What's so bad about that? 
And that's why he says when you give, don't give them to you. Here they come with their plate again. It's because you want to. I'm mad. Oh, yeah. We're making a difference. That's what he says it's supposed to be for, right? And, and sometimes that's just normally giving. Uh, did you know that God prompts your heart sometimes outside the church to be a giver too? That's really fun. How much time do we got? That's really fun. I'll, 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 I won't say where it was. Brandy and I did this one time. God prompted his heart with this elderly lady. And was, she was just kind of a little prideful. You know, she didn't want to receive help, but we knew she needed help. So God touched our hearts. And we decided, let's go load her up with a bunch of food. I mean, bunches of food, right? I mean, see, we're not just going to get her the big old biggest, fattest turkey we can find, man. We're going to get her all the fixings, and then we're going to give her even more, so even beyond Thanksgiving. So we literally loaded up our trunk, went to the store, got all this, we went to the, uh, loaded up with boxes and sacks and all kinds of stuff with this food, and it was like we were like back in high school doing something you probably shouldn't do, and we were like, hee, we just couldn't wait to get to the house, and she didn't know what was coming, because it was in secret, as the scripture says, don't let your left hand know what you're right, don't make a big announcement, hey, look what we did, we're so spiritual. <laughs> that's not how you give so we get there and we unload that thing and we're plopping all that food there on our front doorstep right and then the coolest part was we ding dong <laughs> ran out of there went around the corner right and we could see her and she's like looking around what's all this and then that Sunday she gave a fantastic testimony of God's provision and we just kept our mouth shut Oh, I still get joyful over that one time. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. We're missing out. It's awesome. And yet we come up with excuses and we say this, well, hey, I just don't have treasure for God and the things of God. But you got plenty of treasure for yourself. Okay? I mean, let's be honest, you know? And I'll say this on record. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm going to put this on tape. I don't want your money. Can I tell you something? Neither does God. He's more concerned, concerned at this point with your soul than your wallet. But for the Christian to whom this is addressed, whether it's buying things we don't need to impress people we don't know who in the end don't even stink and care, or we just have to get this latest doodad when the, thing, the previous doodad is perfectly fine, we don't bat an eye dropping serious cash on things we don't even frankly need. And our society tricks us to live like that. And so when you actually say that uh, we don't have time or treasure for the things of God, really what's going on is this. Let's take a look at this one. Oh, I couldn't. Well, maybe just a bite.
brought the pie. the tension there. And that's really what's going on oftentimes, isn't it? It's not that we don't have treasure for the things of God. Oh, by the way, it's his pie. Where do you think you get it from? I'll say it again, folks. I'll put it on tape. Listen, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I don't want your money, neither does God. He wants your soul. He wants to save you. But for the Christian, come on. Do you really think it's by chance and we have an opportunity to give. And I'm not just talking about Sunday. I'm talking about every, because you can give of your time, your treasure, your talents, and your tongue. It's not just about money. You give your life. Every time that we have an opportunity to give, do you really think that all of a sudden you're just like, no, I just don't, or, or I, I spend it. I just, I, it's called spiritual warfare. We are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus right now, our Lord and Savior who rescued us from hell, who is guaranteed our ticket, if you will, to heaven, is at the right hand of the Father. And he wants us to get the gospel. He wants other people saved. We're his body. He's in heaven. So guess who gets to do his work as a privileged duty until he comes back and gets us? Us. That's why he's called us the body, the body of Christ. We're his hands, we're his feet, we're his mouth, his eyes. That's the church. And guess what? It takes finances to reach out oftentimes and things and invest and over here in teaching and discipling and whatever. It doesn't always cost, but just. But if we never do, how's it going to happen? And what the enemy will do, he will take this, believe it or not, giving. That's a great source of joy for us. And by us not being wise stewards with it, one day, that which is a great source of blessed is the one who gives, joyful. It will actually turn into a moment of grief when you realize what could have been done as the body of Christ. Like this guy realizes. Let's take a look.
this car. Who good would have bought this car? Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for it. At least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. Person, Stan. For this. I could have got one more person. And I why God invests so much treasure to us, especially here in America, compared to the rest of the world, is not so we can try to store it up here on earth. It's to store it up in heaven. Scripture is clear. Job says, naked I came in this world, naked I'm leaving it. But, you can't get there with something with you. That's called a soul when we work together and we share the gospel, when we invest in the things of God, we can bring people with us. And that's what Jesus wants. That's what he's commanded us to do. And he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is what the scripture says. It's not only spiritual warfare, but the Bible is very clear. The enemy, it's a, he's robbing us of joy. Giving is a great source of joy. And so if you're here today, you're sick and tired, if you will, as a Christian, you're Reading the Bible in one hand, you're taking a look at your life in the other and going, hey man, what's going on? Why is it these people, I just, I keep having to read stories about people in the past who did these great things for Jesus and lives were changed and tons of souls were saved and, and why is it that they get to have this amazing walk? And I, maybe you need to rediscover how to have that life worth living for. And maybe you need to get back to being that positive advertisement for Jesus and get your countenance straight. And maintain that joy. How? By abiding in him. Just pray. You know, all the stuff we used to do when we first got saved, nobody had to preach a sermon on it and twist your arm, right? When we had so much joy, we couldn't contain it. You can get that back. Every day, pray to Jesus Christ. Just love him. Read his word, the Bible. Serve him as he served to us. Witness, tell other people about him. And you not only have so much joy you don't know what to do with. 
But when you share the gospel, you'll back it up with your countenance and you'll have that life worth living for. Let's be that church here in Las Vegas and let's flip that 95 percentile around for him. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. 
God so loved the world that He sent His one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him, what He did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but He will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now well this has been pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and and get a life ministries and if there's anything that we can do for you uh please don't hesitate uh to contact us uh our number our information will uh come up here on the screen shortly and uh, uh if there's anything we could do for you please don't hesitate to let us know uh thank you for 
uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.